Where I'm reading, oh, that is loud. <clears throat> this morning I'm reading from the uh, letter of Galatians, chapter 1 and verses 6 through 17. This is Paul writing, and he says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ to follow another gospel. It is not really another gospel, but certain people are confusing you, and they want to change the gospel of Christ. However, even if we ourselves or an, a heavenly angel should ever preach anything different from what we preach to you, they should be under a curse. I'm repeating what we've said before. If anyone preaches something different from what you received, they should be under a curse. Am I trying to win over human beings or God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I wouldn't be Christ's slave. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that the gospel I preached isn't human in origin. I didn't receive it or learn it from a human. It came through a revelation from Jesus Christ. You heard about my previous life in Judaism, how severely I harassed God's people and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my peers because I was much more militant about the tradition of my ancestors. But God had set me apart from birth and called me through his grace. He was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach about him to the Gentiles. I didn't immediately consult with any human being. I didn't go up to Jerusalem to see the men who were apostles before me either. But I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. This is the word of God for the people of God. So uh, before Easter, I, I spent a number of weeks preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, kind of the, the, the point of that was, you know, Jesus emphasizing how much of the law still remains important, right? So we had this kind of this statement by Jesus that none of the law had passed away, right? That all of it continued. Not, not even the smallest letter or the smallest portion of a letter had passed away. And so throughout, you know, that series, um, I kept reiterating about how Jesus didn't get rid of the law. He didn't get rid of the law. He actually, in some ways, he made it harder to observe the law because he took what had been, uh, you know, outward observances and suddenly they became inward to where it wasn't enough that I don't murder someone, but if I'm angry with them and hateful toward them, then I'm guilty, right? And, and that's a lot harder to keep that law Right? But he went into the heart and showed how the condition of our heart and our attitudes and our thoughts and our, our motives become really important, more so than just what we do on the outside. So that's, that's one side of this you know, grace versus works debate. The other side here we get in Paul's letter to the Galatians. Right? And it's not that I think that they are against one another. In fact, 
actually since I've been here, you know, I've been here almost a year, and I've really, if I think back over the, uh, the, the topics that I have preached on, I've very much gravitated toward the, well, you got to have works to show that your faith is genuine, right? We looked at, at James, and we looked at, at First Peter, and then the Sermon on the Mount, and these are all kind of collectively, they're, they're emphasizing how we must live out the faith that we profess, and that is absolutely true. Um, too many of us will give lip service to uh, faith, but not actually allow it to change the way we live our lives. That's, that's incredibly important. However, it is important that we also recognize that we don't earn salvation. All right? That as important as works are, as evidence of genuine faith, we are ultimately saved by grace. Where does, where does grace fit in to the gospel? Right? And, and salvation by faith. How does grace and salvation by faith fit into this message that we've been looking at so much about how we also have to, to live transformed lives. We have to, to be sanctified you know, in good Wesleyan terminology. Because at the end of the day, Christianity does not equal earning salvation through good works. That's not what it's about. Because if it were, that would mean Jesus died for nothing. If, if we can do it on our own, then Holy Week was a waste of time. The death of Jesus was a waste of time, and it accomplished nothing. So, at some point, we have to recognize that our salvation is God's work, not ours. It's not something we accomplish on our own. And that is really Paul's chief theological contribution. I touched on this a little bit in Sunday school this morning. I mentioned that, uh, you know, if all you had were the Gospels, you would know that Jesus was the Messiah. You'd know the things he taught. You'd know that he died. You'd know that he rose again. And you'd know that for some reason all those things are important, but you wouldn't really understand why they're important. So, so Jesus dies and rise, rises again. Okay, how does that affect me? Because Paul, it was really Paul's theology, his work in connecting the dots that showed how the death of Jesus accomplishes our salvation. That the death of Jesus becomes a sacrifice for our sin and that through faith in Jesus we receive atonement, we receive forgiveness because of something that he did. And so we're saved by that faith not by works. Because we can't be saved. According to Paul, we can't be saved by the Torah, by the law, because we're incapable of keeping it. So all of that stuff Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount about you know, this really high ethical bar, not a single one of us is able to meet that. Right? It doesn't mean that those rules don't apply. It doesn't mean God doesn't expect us to live this way. It means ultimately we're all going to fail. So there's got to be another way for us to be saved beyond simply 
living up to God's expectations or, or there aren't any of us who are going to make it. And for Paul in particular, because he was traveling around and preaching the gospel to people who knew nothing, to the Gentiles, he was the one who principally was taking this Jewish faith in a Jewish Messiah and, and proclaiming it to Gentiles who had no knowledge of Judaism, of the Old Testament, of the God of Israel. And if you hit them with 613 laws that are new and different to them, all you end up with is a bunch of barriers and obstacles to people following God. That's what Paul saw the the way that the law was being proclaimed to Gentiles was exclusionary. It was, let's set up all of the barriers, the boundary markers that separate Jew from Gentile. So, you want to you wanna be saved? Well, be circumcised. Obey the Sabbath. Don't eat pork. Right? All the things that set my people apart from your people. In other words, if you want to be saved, you've got to become like me. Right? That's, that's how that would be interpreted. Is that the way to be saved is to become like me. Right? I'm part of the in-group, you're part of the out-group. And you've got to learn to live like I do. You've got to learn... To be, to be something other than what you are. All right? And so what Paul did, Paul sought to put, or he, he proclaimed faith as a way to put Jew and Gentile on even ground. Say that Jews have no advantage simply by being Jewish. And here I can think about you know, again, not, not Jewish, but, but uh, some of us were fortunate enough to grow up in the church. To grow up in a Christian environment that pushed us in a certain direction. And when I, when I think about, you know, why do I believe what I believe? Why do I live the way I live? It would be really inaccurate for me to say well it's because I chose it right I just made all the right choices I didn't right I was conditioned to do it I grew up in an environment that pushed me in that direction and so for me to feel all superior as I've got it all together I'm one of the chosen few right and I did all of this and then to look at someone else who didn't have any of that and to look down on them as ignorant, corrupt, you know, heathen, and feel superior to them would just be completely wrong. Because I was given so much that they weren't given. And all these you know, badges of honor that I might wear as look at me, look at the great Christian I am, I didn't really earn those, right? And if I had been in their shoes, if I had grown up the way they did, I probably wouldn't be any different. 
That's sort of the situation that Paul is encountering, where one group of people has been propped up as superior to another, mostly by the accident of their birth. And so Paul wants to emphasize that the things that really matter, the faith in Jesus, is equal for Jew and Gentile. So Paul's central message is that both Jew and Gentile stand equally condemned by the law, because even when you think you've got it all together, you usually don't. Right? Your sins are maybe hidden. They're maybe not as obvious. Or they're the things that no one thinks really matter that much. All right? But where it really counts, Jew and Gentile are equal. They're both condemned by the law, but they're both saved through faith in Jesus. So Paul writes this letter to the Galatians to whom he had proclaimed this message of salvation by faith in Jesus. And now he has to do it again. It's sort of, you know, Paul writing in all caps, did I stutter or something, right? What part of what I told you before wasn't clear because they have completely forgotten what Paul told them, right? The background here is that Paul's first missionary journey, he went on at least three of these. Some people think he may have gone on four or even five, but there are three that are recorded in the book of Acts. And his very first missionary journey, he traveled up through Turkey. And he passed through the southern part of a region called Galatia. Galatia was the central mountain region in Turkey. And it was the frontier, right? It was, there were very few Jewish communities there. It was a strongly pagan, strongly Gentile area. And um, in fact, culturally, this is the, the weird thing, you wouldn't think about this, but Galatia, the group, the ethnic group that lived there, that that region is named after, the, the Galatians, are related to the Celtic peoples that you would associate with like Ireland and Scotland. They spread out all over Europe and some of them emigrated over to the British Isles. But that word Galatia is related to the word Celtic. So they're extremely Gentile. And Paul, this is one of the first places that he had preached this gospel and really emphasized that Gentiles were saved as Gentiles. And this, these Galatians had received Paul's message of salvation by faith. But then when Paul left, other people followed along behind him and told them something else. Told them, no, you, you have to be circumcised. You have to obey the law of Moses. And then you can be a real Christian, right? Maybe Paul gave you, like, Christianity for dummies, right? He, he gave you the Cliff Notes version. But if you really want to be a true Christian, you've got to become like us, right? You've got to become Jewish too because Christianity is really just Judaism plus. And, and to that, Paul's response to 
the Galatians, he says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ to follow another gospel. It's not really another gospel, but certain people are confusing you and they want to change the gospel of Christ. He says, you have deserted the gospel for another gospel. Now, what is this other gospel? We don't really find out here. In this first chapter, he doesn't really tell us what it is. But throughout the book of Galatians, what we're going to find out is that this other gospel that the Galatians had received was extra requirements for salvation, most notably circumcision. Right? That they, they had to convert to Judaism to be saved. Now, that, that seems odd to us because, you know, 2,000 years have gone by and Judaism and Christianity have grown into separate religions. And, in fact, in our context, it's been more of a can you be Jewish and be a Christian at the same time. But in the first century, to be Christian was to be Jewish. There was no distinction between them. In the eyes of the Romans, in particular, Christianity was just another form of Judaism. And so these earliest Christians, all they knew was Judaism. This is the way we've always lived. This is the way we've always believed. So naturally, we're going to proclaim continuity with Old Testament Judaism. And with good reason. Again, we saw Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount really emphasized that continuity too. The difference was, these are Gentiles. And according to Paul's reasoning, and I think Paul was right, right, was that God's plan had always been to save the Gentiles too. But at no point did that mean that the Gentiles had to become Jewish in order to be saved. That, in fact, Israel's mission was to be a light to the nations, to guide them to worship the true God, but at no point was Israel ever commanded, go out and convert the nations to Judaism. Go out and circumcise all the heathen. You won't find that in the Old Testament. It's not there. All right? In fact, what, what Paul is saying is that what we are experiencing right now is the fulfillment of Israel's mission. That finally, God is going to save the whole world and he's doing it through us. Through Jesus, but through us as well. And this message that, that the Galatians had received was ultimately one that created two tiers of Christianity. That there are the lesser Gentile Christians and then there are the real, genuine Jewish Christians who are in the know and are keeping all the rules. And to that, Paul's response is, there's only one gospel. There's not the gospel light and then the real gospel or the gospel plus or, you know, the advanced gospel, Right? Not the basic gospel and the advanced gospel. There's just the gospel. There's only one. And I preached it to you last time. 
You don't need anything else. There's no deeper truth. There's no secret teaching. There's no higher enlightenment. What you got is what there is. So here's what he says. He says, even if we ourselves came back to you, or even if an angel from heaven came and preached to you a gospel that's different from what we preached to you originally, may they be accursed. If anyone preaches something different from what you received, may they be under a curse. This is really strong language. This is like Galatians is Paul's angry letter. He's really angry. All right. What he's saying here when, he's, when he talks about may they be accursed, maybe they be under a curse, this is the, the Greek word is anathema. Anathema gets picked up in the early church and it's used as what you do to heretics. All right. There are, if you read like early church history, the church fathers, even the creeds and stuff, they will anathematize, they will pronounce anathemas on heretics. So people who who believe things that are heretical, they would pronounce anathema. Like this teaching comes from the pits of hell and that's where it should go back to. And that's what Paul says here. So this idea that there's another gospel that adds to the gospel that that Paul originally proclaimed, he considers it to be extremely dangerous so dangerous that those who proclaim it, would, it would be better off if they were chained up in the fires of hell than that they would be allowed to proclaim this. So you, you don't want to be the person preaching another gospel. Uh, Paul has very bad things to say about you if, if you are. All right? So this is really angry stuff. And the reason he says this is because that he says... This other gospel is not really a gospel. It's not really a gospel. And the reason is because it's not good news. That's what gospel means. It means good news. And if someone comes and tells you, God won't accept you the way you are, you've got to get cleaned up first. You've got to learn to be like me first. And maybe then... God will accept you. Well, that's not good news. That doesn't liberate you. That doesn't give you freedom. That, that is bad news. If, if, I, if I walked up to you and I said, well, in your present state, you're unsavable. Uh, you, you've got to do all these other things first. That would not be good news. So Paul says it's not good news if it limits grace to one special class of people. It's not good news if it says you have to get your act together first before God can save you. So it's not a gospel at all. Instead, there's only one gospel, and that gospel for Paul is not new. It's not hidden. It's, in fact, very ancient. It's this prophetic hope, this vision that we find in the prophets like Isaiah, like in Isaiah 2, where he, he foresees a day when the mountain of God will be lifted up above all other mountains and people from all nations will stream to it to worship the God of Israel. But they're still Gentiles. Right? He says that, that's what we believe in. 
It's not a new gospel. It's, in fact, it's rooted in the very covenant that God made with Abraham from the very beginning when God called Abraham and said, go where I'm going to show you and I will bless you. I will be with you. I will make your name great. The one who blesses you, I will bless. The one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Because from the very beginning, God's purpose in calling Abraham and setting him apart and his descendants apart was always so that they could bring good news to the nations. So that everyone would ultimately be blessed through them. See, God's plan all along had been to save the Gentiles, but to save them as Gentiles. To save them where they were. And the gospel that Paul proclaimed was that Jesus was the key to this salvation for all. But Paul writes elsewhere, in, in example, in Romans 3, is that now God has revealed a righteousness that comes apart from the law. And it's available to all, to Jew and Gentile alike, to all who will have faith in Christ. Because God is not the God of Jews only. He is the God of the Gentiles as well. And so there is one way to salvation, and that is faith in Jesus. It is the great equalizer. And Paul says, I didn't make this up, people. He says, I received this from Jesus himself. He says, this is verse 11. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that the gospel I proclaimed isn't human in origin. I didn't receive it or learn it from a human. It came through a revelation from Jesus Christ. He says, I didn't make this up. It came from Jesus. And because it came from Jesus, it can't be altered or augmented or supplemented by anyone else. Not even by me, not even by an angel. Interesting, you know, he includes the angels there. Because in Paul's world, they believed not all angels are good. They had a long tradition. We talked about this in Sunday school too. They had a long tradition of believing in fallen angels. Sometimes angels deceive you. He says, don't, don't believe even an angel that would tell you something else. Because this is the one true gospel. So that's Paul. That, that's the Galatians. For the next six weeks, we're going to be working through this book and Paul's message of salvation by faith that doesn't come through works. And we'll see that at the same time, Paul's not opposed to works. He actually does have an important place for them. But they're not the starting point. They're not a prerequisite. But I want to ask us a question as we, we're about to, to wrap up this morning. I want, I want to pose a question to us, and that is, do we augment the gospel? The thing that Paul says not to do. The thing that Paul says if you do this, you should be under a divine curse. Do we add to the gospel to the point that sometimes it's not really good news anymore? 
I think that's a tricky question, but I want us to think about it for a moment. It's tricky because I think it's legitimate for us to expect holiness, to expect a changed life, you know, sanctification. It's legitimate for us to expect that people will change as they come to Christ. But sometimes we make that the focus. We make the change the prerequisite to where you're not really a Christian until you've changed. It's not the change that's the problem. It's that we've made that the gate. We've made that the entry fee into the church. See, what, what the Galatians were being fed here didn't make them more righteous, actually. It, it just made them externally Jewish. They were being told that they could never be sanctified as Gentiles. It didn't matter how righteously they lived because there were a small number of litmus tests that they didn't pass. And until they got those right, they couldn't be accepted. And I think that we sometimes are guilty of imposing extra requirements beyond faith or even beyond faith that leads to righteous living. We, as humans, we have a tendency to look for boundary markers. This is kind of a cultural thing. Ethnic or cultural boundary markers that we look to to separate an in-group from an out-group. And we focus so much on those that, well, what, what does a, a Christian look like to us and we envision in our mind what, the, what a Christian is like. And sometimes many of the things that we would associate it with have very little to do with biblical morality. They have to do with lifestyle. They have to do with outward appearance. They have to do with our um, position on secondary issues that are incidental to the gospel. But it's all about drawing boundaries, drawing lines that separate us from them. You know, we expect people to adopt certain cultural patterns or identities or customs in order to be real Christians. But the thing is, it's funny how when we do that, a real Christian always seems to look a lot like us. No, none of us ever define a real Christian as something very different from us. We, what we do is we, we create it in our own image. We, we make Jesus in our own image. We make the ideal Christian in our own image. Something that's easy for us to live up to, but difficult or even impossible for an outsider to live up to. And if that's the case, if that's what we do, then I think we need to hear Paul's words this morning, that there is no other gospel. And if we preach another gospel that creates unnecessary requirements and obstacles between people and God, we stand under a divine curse. So may the gospel that we proclaim be the one true gospel that was promised to Abraham. And that was 
foretold by the prophets and that was made real by Jesus and was then preached by Paul. Amen? Let us pray. Lord, may we not be guilty of setting up obstacles between those who would come to you and the gospel as it really is. In our quest for holiness, which is good and right, may we not substitute things that are really designed to support our power and our position and to exclude those who are different from us. May we hear Paul's words here. And as we not only are in the position of leading others to you, but even in the position of coming to you ourselves, may we recognize that there is one gospel. And that one gospel is rooted in faith in Christ alone. For there's nothing that we can do inwardly or outwardly, to make ourselves right before you. May we fall upon your grace this morning. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.